You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. We are on the last installment of our Exodus Unveiled, Vayakel Pekude. It's a double parsha, and it wraps up the end of Exodus. And what's uh, peculiar about this parsha is it seems to repeat uh, the entire dialogue narrative that we found two and three parshas ago and Truma and Tetzave, the entire description of the Mishkan, of the portable temple, portable synagogue that they went through in the desert, all of its implements, how they were made, uh, detail by detail. And why does the Torah go through it and repeat it all over again? So if you look carefully at the narrative, the one that occurred earlier was God's commandment to Moshe on building it, And this week we have the actual act of building it. Now, it might seem peculiar that the Torah, which is so sparing in its text, would dedicate chapters and chapters and then repeat them again. The simplest understanding is it shows us the centrality and the importance of this sanctuary that we're building, which was meant to be the habitation of the Almighty, the place where human beings could encounter God in a more powerful, closer way than any place else. And of course, the whole purpose and goal of the Torah is our relationship to the Almighty. It's dvekut, it's having God connection. And so all of the Torah culminates at this. And Nachmanides says that the experience they had on Mount Sinai of experiencing God, the Almighty, was re-experienced here when they would come to this tent of meeting and when the divine presence would come upon it. And so that's the goal of the entire Torah. Now we've seen this elsewhere. Noah, we also had an entire description of build the ark and then entire description of him building the ark. And there's another idea here, which is uh, that things go in the spiritual world from potential to actualization. So first you have the thought, then you have the formulation, the expression of the idea, the speech, and then you have action. So in a sense, that's what it's doing here. The commandment is the potential, is the blueprint, and then you have the actualization of that commandment. And that's how our lives work. We go from actualization, from potential to action. And that is uh, the goal of uh, how we serve God in this world. So we have here the beginning of uh, Vayakel, once again, a juxtaposition of the Shabbat and the Mishkan. And here for the Shabbat, it gives us the one specific commandment in the Torah that we're told uh, is do not kindle fire on the Shabbat. There's also the prohibition of not carrying, but it's less overt. And there's a big debate about why fire is mentioned explicitly but the other 39 categories are not. And perhaps fire, in a sense, is the most creative, in a sense, you're bringing something that didn't exist before into existence rather than manipulating materials to create something else. So uh, the first stage was the planning. It says they gathered all the materials. Now, one peculiarity, the gold, uh, all of these beautiful garments, um, wools and colors. So as we know, all of this was brought out of Egypt. The Egyptians had given the Jews uh, a lot of their wealth and a lot of their beautiful items. 
by the way, this, uh, these gold and blue, these uh, blues and purples and reds, they have actually found now the original wools. And we don't appreciate that in the ancient world, dying in this way, finding such vibrant colors was a great luxury and something that was very rare. And this is really the point as well. We're going to talk about this, the lavishness that is described in the materials, that is described in the construction, the gold. Um, how do we understand this? So we understand it that this is to honor God. This is for godly, divine purpose. And Maimonides says very tellingly, he says in the Mishnah Torah and the laws of the synagogue, he said, your synagogue should be as beautiful as your home, period. If you're used, you're used to living in a certain level of aesthetic beauty, of uh, comfort, the synagogue should be equal to it. Why? Because what you do for your own needs, you're going to do for divine needs, so to speak, to honor God. So let's remember that all of this is opulence is not for the sake of opulence. It's for the sake of honoring God. And so it says, the men brought with the woman, al-hanashim, very strange language. And then it describes the women bringing all of their jewelry in the sense, what it's saying, as that the woman initiated this and the woman gave the greatest sacrifice that we know, a woman uh, uh, and their nice stones and jewelry. So even this they brought, and even the most intimate jewelry they brought, everything could be sanctified for a divine purpose. And then it speaks about the woman weaving the tents and the garments of the Kohen Gadol. So the woman played an equally active part and perhaps even more dedicated part of giving things that were precious and important to them uh, to the temple. And we spoke past weeks about how the fact that they were slaves and then became so wealthy and then they gave away that wealth again shows the incredible dedication of the Jewish people. So one interesting peculiar item is the precious stones, which were embedded in the breastplate. And there's a list of 12 precious stones. How did they get these? One opinion is that they brought them out of Egypt. Another one is oh, miraculously they were came down in the desert. Um, but this was also an aspect of the beautifying of the garments of the high priest that he wore on a breastplate in front of his garment. Now it says the Nisi'im, the, pre, the, the, the princes, uh, each tribe had a head of tribe, a Nasi, and it says they brought the stones. But very uh, interestingly or unusually, the word Nisi'im is missing a letter. It's missing the Yud. Uh, and the commentators ask, why is this so? And they say, this is what the princes said. They said to the people, you gather everything you can. And whatever you can't gather, we will fill in. Not exactly like a matching gift, which are very popular today. Uh, it's one step down from that. On the one hand, you might think they're putting them, taking a chance. What if the people give very little? They'll have to fill in all the rest. On the other hand, were they hedging their bets? to say, well, maybe most will be brought and that way we won't have to bring much. It's not clear. But either way, the rabbis say, they should have been zealous. They should have bounded forward to say, we want to give first. We want to set the example. We want to give generously and lavishly from the beginning, not 
at the end, after everything is brought, we'll fill in. And that's why it was taken out. Another lesson in giving to be um, not wait around, see, okay, who else is going to give, what's being done. Come forward, be a leader in giving. That's the message. Okay, the craftsman. It reiterates the role of Betzalel and Oholiav. Betzalel uh, and Oholiav were the craftsmen. And it describes Oholiav here particularly, but last week, a few weeks ago, we saw Betzalel, God filled with Chachma Bina Vedat, Chabad, with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. But Oholiav said here, he was the carver, the designer, the embroiderer. So it seems like Betzalel was the brains, Oholiav was the skill. Uh, both of them, of course, had the skill and had the divine insight. And it then invites anyone else who is full of divine wisdom should come and do work. And this is the point that we said the women were doing the weaving. Um, but it's considered that all of them were given a certain divine insight, a divine inspiration in their work for this godly ends. And then it said that the gifts were brought and there was too much They had to close out the donations and tell the people enough, stop giving now. We've got everything we need. And showing the incredible generosity of the Jewish people. And then the Parsha goes through the entire description of the tent, of the construction. And this is very interesting because the description of the construction and of the um, erecting it, of putting up the Mishkan, is going to follow the same pattern. First, it talks about putting up the boards, then the tent above it, then the ark, the table, the menorah, the incense, everything is anointed, and then the altar outside. What is it showing? It's showing that first they put up the walls, and then they put the ark inside. It wouldn't be becoming to stick the ark on an open field and then start building around it. And you also... Uh, aren't going to finish everything and then put it in. So as soon as you had the walls, you put the ark inside. And that was part of the respect that it was given and part of the uh, modesty with which uh, we treat it. Now, the ark, one other aspect of the ark is that the ark had the tablets of the covenant. Once again, a link to Mount Sinai. And there's a debate What happened to the Shivre Luchot, the broken tablets, the ones that came down uh, at the sin of the golden calf and were destroyed by Moshe? Those were the ones that were created, hewn by the Almighty. The second ones, God says to Moshe, you should hew the stones. Psalacha, you cut the stones. Both of them God wrote, but the second set Moshe made to show the human effort put in the oral law. The first tablets represent the written law, according to some, the second tablets, the oral law, and the human dimension to Torah, which exists as well. Now, uh, did the arcs fit both sets? Difficult if they were squares. Uh, according to some opinions, the second set, the broken luchot, were put in a second arc, and that second arc would accompany the people out when they went out to battle. And the ark captured by the Philistines in the times of King Saul, that ark was actually not the original ark. That was the ark with the broken luchot. Despite that, the Philistines still had a plague break out. Okay, so we have the ark in the inner, inner room. Then the table, the menorah, and the incense altar. The altar outside, 
the laver for washing the hands and feet, and then the enclosure, the outside perimeter of the of the uh, temple precinct is put up. And that is the description of uh, the erection of it. Now, the second part should we begin, Pekude. These are the um, tasks, the, f- the fulfillment of the tasks that Moshe carried out. It tells us the amount of gold, the amount of silver. The rabbis say everything was accounted for. When you do a charity accounting, there should be three people, total transparency. And Moshe began that precedent. Um, and it tells us when was this ark going to be used? So let's look at a little timeline here. We talked about Moshe on Mount Sinai for the three cycles of 40 days, Moshe coming down and uh, the day before Yom Kippur, right after Yom Kippur is Parsha Truma. Moshe is commanded, then is Parsha Vayakel, our Parsha. Moshe commands the people and they start to gather everything. They start to build it. When did they finish building it? They finished building it on Hanukkah on the 25th of uh, Kislev. And there's a famous Midrash that says that the 25th of Kislev was upset because the inauguration was not until Nisan, was not until the month of Passover, until the spring. So really they waited around come some four months to inaugurate it. The 25th of uh, Kislev felt, hey, we got shortchanged. And God said, don't worry, in the future, you date, you will have a special inauguration. What was that? The Hanukkah victory and the re-inauguration of the t- second temple. So um, the 25th of Kislev before Hanukkah um, in December is when it was actually, the building was done. And then the inauguration is going to be in Nissan in the month of April, the first day of the first month inaugurated with oil. It describes how Moshe should set up the altar and uh, how they would wash their hands and feet when they would do it. And then in the book of Leviticus, we're going to have the description of that week of celebration of setting up the altar for the week before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, for a week culminating in the first day of Nisan. A lot of drama is going to be around that, the death of the sons of Aaron. Get to that in the next book. However, our book ends talking about, once again, the purpose of this, uh, of this uh, place and of this construction, which it said that when the cloud would come down upon the tent of meeting, who's meeting? We're meeting God. Who's meeting? Moshe is meeting the Almighty. Who's meeting? The Jewish people are meeting together to experience the divine presence. And so it wasn't there necessarily constantly when the cloud came down there would be a stronger level of divine um, God uh, revealing himself and it said it was so intense even Moshe would step out when that event would happen even he could not enter the tent and the cloud also served another purpose when the cloud would lift up that was a sign to the Jewish people that they would break camp and start to move so there was a symbolic message to the people that the divine presence would be there when the tent was there, uh, when the cloud was there, excuse me. Once again, the clouds 
represented not just any old cloud, the clouds of glory that accompanied the Jewish people and that protected the Jewish people in their travelings. So there you have it. And um, we finish the book of Exodus. When we finish the book, we say, Chazak, Chazak, Benit Chazak, may be strengthened and strengthened, and may we be strengthened to continue to begin the next book of the Torah. So we hope that we've unveiled some of the depth and understanding of uh, Exodus uh, and um, that we can feel a sense of satisfaction that we have finished this book of the Torah and coming away as we do every year with a deeper level of understanding. Every year we go through the Parsha, every year we uncover more and more. Have a Shabbat Shalom.